President Trump was faced with a critical military decision late last week. How should he respond to Iran for downing a U.S. surveillance drone? Initially, the president approved military strikes. The Pentagon had Navy assets poised to strike Iran. But with little time to spare, Trump changed his mind and ultimately called it off. And while he chose not to go ahead with a military strike against Iran, he has repeatedly warned since that his restraint might not last. So as we now find our country in a precarious situation with a foreign adversary, we're focusing this episode on the president's role as commander-in-chief. As you've heard on this show before, we know the president has significant power when it comes to war. But let's look at how those powers have worked with Iran in practice. This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. What led us to this escalation with Iran? What is Trump's strategy from here? And how might recent events affect international perceptions of U.S. might? I turned to Dan Lamoff, who covers the U.S. military and the Pentagon for The Washington Post. I asked him about our relationship with Iran under the Trump administration. It's been tense. It's really been tense from the start. It was, I think, tense coming in the door based on things the president said during the campaign. His very open and pointed opposition to the Iran nuclear deal. Really, from the outset, that's something that on the military side we've been watching to see whether this would ever ever be moving from a, a war of words to, to something more literal. So take me through the moments that led up to this latest escalation. Before Iran allegedly shot down a U.S. drone, we were seeing attacks on some tankers in, in the Middle East. What do we know about those attacks at this point? So the tankers in both cases were, were commercial civilian crews, not in any way a warship, and they had mines placed on them. They call them limpet mines. Uh, you basically attach it to the outside of the hull of the ship, and at some point you end up with a detonation and, and a hole in the side of the ship. Very dangerous kind of thing that can sink or, or badly damage a ship if placed in the right area, especially when in, in situations where sometimes you put multiple mines on the same ship. The Pentagon eventually releases photographs of what they sh- say were limpet mines. It sure looks like limpet mines. Talking to experts, there was no real dispute over what that appeared to be. And then they released some video uh, of what they said was Iranian forces uh, retrieving a mine that did not explode off the side of one of those ships that were attacked. Talk to a lot of people. Uh, there's no real direct tie based on what we've seen to say, yes, definitively, that was, you know, an Iranian service member who was removing that. But at the same time, there's also not a lot of dispute that that's the most likely scenario that Iran would have been the most likely participant in that sort of action. Uh, and, and the question really becomes at that point, what's the most appropriate response. Well, first of all, if it was Iran, why might they have done that? Iran's got a history of doing these sorts of things going back years. You know, there there was a a brief war in the 1980s involving Iran and the United States. Iran got involved in attacks on American service members in Afghanistan and Iraq, and that's all based on, you know, American intelligence that has been declassified. Even this week, uh, Congressman Seth Moulton, presidential candidate, mentioned at the Washington Post during an event here that he, during one of his deployments, was shot at by Iranian mortars. Mm-hmm. And it was widely assumed and known to be at the time that there was Iranian forces 
in some cases, proxies. Uh, so sort of, uh, you know, uh, Iran supplying weapons and in other cases, quite possibly just, you know, Iranians that were involved in Iraq. OK, so how did the U.S. respond to these tankers? The tankers alone, it, it seemed to be that they were making the case openly that Iran was being a problem. And then when you square that against John Bolton and Mike Pompeo's comments, uh, the concern was becoming that it appeared at the time that the White House was making a case for some sort of military strike. That's prior to that American drone getting shot down. Yeah. So tell me about that. What happened? It was a kind of an overnight operation. One of the things that the Pentagon has done in the last month especially is put more and more surveillance assets in the Middle East. Drones, other things that can just watch at distance what is going on in the area. So it's known as a Global Hawk. It's a very large drone. The wingspan is similar to an airliner, just to give you kind of a, a sense for, for what you're dealing with. It was shot down at a pretty high height with a missile launched from Iran itself. And if this thing breaks up, Iran says it was in Iranian airspace. The United States is adamant that it was not. They released maps that basically the, the two areas they say they, the, this aircraft was shot down are about 12 miles apart. One of them would have been in international airspace with the debris coming down, assumedly in uh, international waters for the most part, at least. And Iran says it was closer to their coastline than that. How did the U.S. decide to respond to the downing of that drone? As this played out, uh, the, the question became, what does the president want to do about it? And does this has this reached sort of a, a, a level where he feels he should or must or just wants to respond in a military uh, fashion? So the Pentagon begins drawing up plans for some sort of strike in, in return. And, and there have been strikes like this to some degree in the past. A couple of years ago, during the Obama administration, there were a series of missiles launched off the uh, Yemen coast that struck uh, a couple different vessels. American Navy ships were shot at, and they were not hit, but they were shot at. And eventually, the United States launched Tomahawk missiles from destroyers on a couple radar sites that were believed to be sort of directly involved in these attacks, and, and, and the attacks stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, th- I think that was sort of the idea, was what, what sort of limited strike can the United States do? Notable difference here, though, in that case, it was Houthi rebels, sort of an Iran proxy force, Mm -hmm. uh, most people would describe it as. In this case, you'd be striking Iranian territory, Iranian targets. Because in this case, the drone was shot down from Iran. Correct. Okay. So the Pentagon decides that they're going to drop a plan for potentially retaliating. Can you walk me through the 24 hours after we kind of start with this plan? It all moved pretty quickly. Uh, So this would have been a Thursday morning in Washington. The drone was shot down sort of overnight uh, uh, on East Coast time. So everybody wakes up to, hey, this just happened. And the Pentagon rolled out some, some basic details of what it was, what kind of aircraft it was, what it was doing. And very quickly is making the case that this did indeed happen in an area where they are allowed to be there. This is, you know, international airspace over international waters. And basically, we're going to fly and sail in these areas because we can and we should to make sure that these areas are free and safe. So the question that day, really all day, is what is the Pentagon going to do? Is this sort of another one of those they're going to add it to the the list of things they're not happy with with Iran? Or, or does the president want to move out with some sort of actual response, strike something uh, immediately? We learned over the course of the next day that on that very same day, that very same morning, there was a meeting at the White House. Uh, they began to, to discuss carrying out a strike that very night. 
And there was a second meeting at the White House in the afternoon. And basically, as the president got closer and closer to just needing to to go from authorizing, basically putting together a plan uh, and authorizing the planning of that plan to actually saying, yep, carry it out. Uh, and, you know, at that point, you've got sort of 20 minutes and, and that's it. He changed his mind, just mm-hmm. flatly changed his mind. Do we know why he changed his mind? I mean, some of this he described in tweets. Uh, he asked and was told that based on the kind of targets uh, the United States was looking at and based on the likely number of Iranian troops that would be in those locations, up to 150 Iranian service members would be killed. As it was described to me, this was not a civilian target. There was not a concern of a lot of civilians or any civilians being around. But the number still was about 150 on the high end, Mm -hmm. quite likely less than that, but on the high end. The president put it that basically that was the first time that came up. A lot of people have disputed that in our reporting, several Washington Post reporters from several angles, and basically said there's no way it would have went down that way. Mm -hmm. And that quite likely there was a discussion of that in the early meeting in in, in the day and whether the president just missed it or wasn't focusing on it or just the number became a little more real to him later in the day. In any event, it quite likely was a part of the discussion to some extent throughout the day, but it became a focus point of his late in the day as he changed his mind. Hi, everyone. I'm investigative journalist Kylie Lowe, and I'm here to tell you about my weekly podcast, Dark Down East. Each episode, I take you to my home in New England, where we truly get to know the people at the center of the cases we dive into. Join me and dig into some cases you won't hear about anywhere else. Listen to new episodes of Dark Down East every Thursday, or check out the extensive catalog of existing episodes now, wherever you listen to podcasts. So when it comes to powers of war in this country, and we've talked to you about this in the past, Essentially, the Constitution says Congress has the power to declare war, but the president is the commander in chief. So in 2001, Congress passed an authorization for the use of military force, which gave in the aftermath of the 9-11 attacks, which gave the president broad power to engage in military force around the world in order to combat terrorism. So many presidents have used that as a legal ground for several uses of military force that have happened since. So my question for you is... Can you sort of explain or summarize where a president's power begins and ends as commander in chief today? It gets complicated because there's sort of the the legal way it works and then there's the way it has worked. The president usually doesn't have a whole lot of problems, you know, if it's in response to American casualties, if it's in response to some sort of strike, if if you can directly link point A to point B and say this happened and this, you know, is a, is a threat or caused American casualties, there's often a very quick response before even, you know, a case has been made to Congress or something like that. Mm-hmm. The The second question becomes, can you link something like that directly back to the war discussion the United States had kind of post 9-11 with Iraq, with Afghanistan? and somehow connect it and make it kind of one big extension of a continuing campaign, which is what the United States has done for 
15 plus years at this point, as we've gone into Yemen and other places as well. It's basically how presidents have used that 2001 authorization for the use of military force to apply to most military actions that have followed. Exactly. 2001. Got it. Okay. So on the extent of Trump's power, he told reporters on Tuesday, talking about about potential war with Iran, he said, you're going to need an exit strategy. I don't do exit strategies. So a question for me is, are there any requirements on a president to have an exit strategy or a clear plan approved by someone in any way? Or can we just kind of head into an act of war without a larger plan for how it might play out? Practically speaking, as it was looking that this strike would come, yeah, uh, and assumedly, and a lot of people raised concerns about it, it seemed that you could have sort of a limited strike or some sort of initial strike and then the question becomes, what happens next? How does Iran respond? How do we respond to that? And you sort of, you, you can see the concern about a sort of snowball effect potentially taking place. I, I think if the president had been signaling, or if he does signal in, in coming weeks or months, that, that he's looking for some sort of large-scale invasion of Iran that would more look like the Iraq invasion, I think Congress probably would deal with that. There's mm-hmm. been discussions in the last week or so, uh, to some extent, at least bipartisan discussions of what kind of limits now need to be put on the presidency in terms of declaring war specifically on Iran, but but really in general. And as these wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and other places have dragged on, more lawmakers discuss it, but there's still not really been anything concrete that's kind of moved the ball on drawing a line and say, okay, you know, it's been this many years and, and this is how we're going to at least end the existing war. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, did we end up seeing any retaliation from the U.S. against Iran? While we ruled out as a nation that initial military strike that had been in discussion all day, the day of this, this drone being taken down, the United States did authorize a, a cyber attack on Iran afterward. Uh, and there's been discussions over whether or not that also is going to have snowball effects and, and that sort of thing. But that, that ultimately was the root. Uh, the United States went. And that doesn't have the same visceral reaction. Uh, and and it, at least publicly, Iran's response to that has been a lot more muted than, than if, if I think if we had shot down or blown up bases or something like that. But there's still an existing tension between the U.S. and Iran, especially when it comes to their nuclear program. Since the Trump administration pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal, what other things have they done to combat Iran? They have now put in place new sanctions. They're really looking to grind the Iranian economy to a halt. And a lot of people would describe it as sort of economic warfare, short of uh, short of a hot shooting war. Okay. And sanctions are a way that Trump has attacked many of our adversaries by imposing sanctions against them and kind of trying to strain their economies. He seems to be avoidant when it comes to aggression, largely. Would you say that's accurate? How would you view President Trump's approach to war and to aggression? No, I think that's fair. I mean, several cases, I think his impulses to pull back the American military to end wars where he can, limit wars where he can. He he has stated that over and over again and really, I think, been frustrated on a lot of levels. He has several times said that he wants to end the war in Afghanistan and then on other occasions said that he knows he can't really do that based on what he's being told by the Pentagon and some of the senior advisors. So the question became, okay, We'll, we'll, we'll end as much of the nation-building side of it as we can, but the counterterrorism strikes in Afghanistan no, show no sign of ending. One thing that Trump seems to do, and you kind of touched on it there, is have 
opposing opinions about things or changed his mind very frequently and kind of so confusion. I'm wondering if you think when we talk about war, whether or not unpredictability is is a strategic asset of some kind. I think it can be both a liability and an asset. The war in Afghanistan is a good example of that. There are a lot of people frustrated now, kind of post-script on us having 100,000 troops on the ground there, that we sent all those troops in with a very clear message that we weren't staying forever, that we were only going to stay a couple years with that kind of force package. And it kind of made it where the Taliban could kind of just wait us out. Uh, and, and and you hear that from both some some Democrats as well as a lot of Republicans. My final question to you is: How much a president, if at all, can change the international perception of our military might based on his particular whims versus the previous president versus the next president? Kind of how do, how much does a president affect the perception of our military internationally? The the military, I think, is still largely viewed the same. Many countries want a military to military relationship with the United States. For a variety of reasons, you know, their own training is one. Uh, another would be that, you know, just when something boils up with a, with some sort of crisis that, that you want to have an established way that a general can reach out to a general and you can either de-escalate the problem or, or ask for help or, you know, depending on what the circumstances are. But but the military is, is kind of in this weird spot now where, where the president isn't always predictable and the president doesn't always seem to even know himself what he wants to do. All right. Well, we will stay tuned. Thank you so much, Dan. Thanks. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? As always, if you liked it, share it. Tell a friend. Post it to your social media. Hey, shoot us an email. We'll be listening. Thank you for listening. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the deeply wise Carol Alderman with design help from Kat Rudolph Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon.